0: So um, just want to say thank you to our sponsors, FightAesthetic.Asia. Um, if you use code BJJASIA, you'll get 10% off all and every piece of their uh, products except from the legacy. And um, a sp- special shout out to staylean.food on IG. Uh, they've been supplying me with really good protein supplements and ready-made meals. All right, so today's guest is Margo Cicerelli. Um, she's part of our, our jiu-jitsu now. And she used to be known as quite a nomadic person that would travel around the world to compete. And now she's uh, more based. You are still moving around quite a lot, aren't you?
1: Well, yes and no. But I make the joke that I'm called the grounded Mars. Yes. No, <laughs> the grounded Mars. Mars. So it's not
0: nomadic anymore. So yeah, I think uh, we did an uh, interview, or I published an interview or an article back in 2019. Um, how has life been since then?
1: Man, it's been a roller coaster. Because as all of us know, we went through COVID, the pandemic era, where like. For me, initially, I was in such disbelief that was happening. I was in Singapore in February 2020, and I remember I was just about to head back to the States to compete at the Pan-Americans, and I had just got back to New York. It was about a week out from Pan-Americans, and I remember being in a cafe, just kind of watching the news like, at this cafe, and just slowly seeing more and more cases of COVID surging, surging, then suddenly poof, mm-hmm. the lockdown. Yeah. And that was the beginning of a really big identity crisis. Um, as you can imagine, you know, like most of my lifestyle, like when you last interviewed me, mm-hmm. I am the nomadic Mars. My business model is being nomadic. I make money being nomadic. My philosophy with developing my arts also was really rooted in crossing as many borders as possible, mm-hmm. meeting as many different people to solve all these different problems within jiu and suddenly I'm kind of stuck in new york not by choice right um for a couple of months that it it seriously was like really affecting my mental health Mm -hmm. i it wasn't that i couldn't necessarily practice because i i think i was more fortunate than some people like i had a really spacious apartment that i could like do other movement things i didn't have a lot of access to training partners anymore, but I had my partner that I could train with, although she was a white belt at the time. So useful to an extent, (laughs) but it, it was a really trying time. Um, I I think in hindsight though, it really taught me to invest in the online side of things, Mm -hmm. I was already really invested in online coaching, online mentorships before, but Not as much as what I started to roll out after the COVID era. I I completely changed my entire business model to be online rather than having to travel from country to country. Because suddenly I went from, my income went straight to zero basically. Mm -hmm. As soon as I got to New York, I got stuck. I was just stuck there for a couple of months before I could really move back around. I I started trying to find countries that I could travel to that had the least amount of COVID restrictions. So that that put me all over the globe, to be honest. It was three, four months where I was bopping around. Sorry. It was three, four months where I was stuck in New York and I, I realized I couldn't really maintain that lifestyle anymore i decided to go to sweden where i met john thomas mm-hmm. and i stayed with john for six weeks and honestly that really awakened my brain again because i i feel like i don't know if i would really describe it as a depression of sorts but it definitely was a really existential period of time for me because so i i divide my identity into three different boxes. And that would be the artist, the athlete, and the competitor. And as you said, the last time we shared things, Mm -hmm. I was really in this artistic mode of exploring the artistic side of jujitsu, what that was for me, like more, more into this realm of self-expression. But suddenly I when I get back to the states, I'm a lot closer to the athlete personality or the competitor, the teacher personality. And suddenly those two boxes were completely X'd out. And I only had the artists left. So as much as like I started doing like a lot of online classes with dance and other things, but I felt like my career suddenly got halted. You mm. know, I felt like I was doing really well at Brown. I had just won the Europeans at Brown Belt just prior to the lockdown get going into place. But because of honestly, COVID taught me so much in terms of resilience building a better, (laughs) building a better personal brand, I would say, because I I feel like I had ideas around what nomadic ID was, but Mm -hmm. I hadn't fully developed it. There wasn't a necessity to do so, but because of what pandemic had become and competition was pretty much in my mind, the thoughts going through my head were when is competition ever going to come back? If at all, Mm -hmm. how long is this really? going to go on for. So it, it just felt like, well, I can't keep thinking about it. I have to try and develop my artistry or develop my direction mm. somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, I think the point out, obviously that everyone also wants to probably know about is the big move to AOJ from yeah. Unity, because that totally changed my life for sure.
0: Yeah. How did that decision come about?
1: I really loved my time in new york and i know it's a place that i'm always going to go back to for sure but i i really love the city i love the people i I think like towards the end of my stay at unity i just felt like i wasn't being pushed enough and i don't think that's necessarily anyone's fault i think like you know some of it comes from me. Some of it comes from just external coaches. But I, I think what I was looking for was I needed someone to really kick me up the ass. Mm-hmm. I think like a huge part of my philosophy over the years has been the flow of philosophy, like go the path of least resistance. But there's a point at which like we're still athletes, right? And I want someone to challenge my perspective, not to indulge me entirely into my lens. And I think Mm -hmm. what I love about Murillo as a coach and just as a practitioner is that he. I really felt like we saw eye to eye Mm -hmm. in terms of our philosophy. He's actually, I consider him to be a little bit of a hippie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I say that because like, I, I think the way he sees the art in some ways it's very autistic and about who you are as a person, who you are as a human being. And that doesn't necessarily, you know, always translate to competitive performance. Mm-hmm. And whilst a really big part of me loves that and is very self-indulgent in that, I know that I have what it takes to basically step on the top of the podium. So I wanted someone to really push me in the direction of like, Let's go there. Let's push you out of your comfort zone, every fucking day. And, you know, like I, I have previously trained at Aoj. I had a former history with autos Hong Kong, so there was a former relationship. It, it felt like a pretty easy transition into like, okay, I'm gonna go to Orange County. There's very few distractions. <laughs> it's not a very interesting place to be. Oh, really? There's it's nothing there. Really fucking boring. Oh my god. <laughs> um, some people may disagree with me, but I'm obviously just giving you my perspective. Mm-hmm. You will do a lot of jujitsu there, but yeah. there's not much else to not do. Not much else for you to do unless you're going to LA. So yeah, I've been putting my head down. I feel like from January to June, I've had more growth in six months than the last five years. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that really says a lot, you know. I think, you know, my perception is one thing, but I have had multiple people talking to me after each major tournament that I did this year, which of course included the Pan Americans and Worlds. And they're like, Margot, you look like a completely different person in each competition. What what really changed? Did AOG really change you that much? And you know, Technically speaking, I don't think it changed me that much. Psychology wise, he completely he completely broke my psychology, mm-hmm. I would say. It, it's just like the lifestyle change was entirely it's entirely different from New York where uh first Class of the day was really at 11.30 for most of us. And AOJ is starting at 6. So I'm waking up daily between 4.45 a.m. to 5 a.m. And my first class is at 6. And that took me a couple of months really to get adjusted. Not to mention, it's not just about the adjustment period. It's like, well, can I perform well Mm -hmm. at that hour when everyone else at the academy who has been there for years, they're so... They're so in tune with that routine. So I felt like at the beginning, man, I had turned into a purple belt. (laughs) I was like, I dropped two belt grades when I stepped into AOJ. I had to like really try and understand what was it that I'm being asked to accomplish in this competition class. Mm-hmm. What am I trying to get out of this? And also trying to get out of my own heads because I've been so self-led for so long. I feel like it's very easy for me to criticize a format. So it was also kind of embracing being the student again mm-hmm. and really trusting in G being the maestro. And it definitely paid dividends overall to say the least.
0: Yeah. So it's been six months at AOJ and you see a huge difference now. So um, is this going to be like a seasonal thing for you at AOJ where you spend like half the year there?
1: I would say I want to spend the majority of my time there, but I am still mainly prioritizing the geese season, which of course is from January to June. Like I, I just had like a really crazy... 2022. I was in a car accident. I thought I was moving to Austin Mm -hmm. at first because I did a brief stint at B-Team and I actually really enjoyed my time there too. But that also meant that I was contemplating a complete change in career to just purely submission grappling. Mm -hmm. I thought that was the smart thing to do, right? And then I had this car crash. Actually, I went to Shanji Ribeiro's birthday open man. Mm-hmm. And after I left there, I got into a car accident where I got T-bones. I was the front passenger. And that led to another series of very like existential thoughts. Mm-hmm. And like, am I making the right decisions with my career? Because, you know, pandemic again, already, it already felt like I was playing catch up,
0: mm-hmm. you know?
1: like i i felt this need to overcompensate for the time lost and you know that's always a little redundant to do but like i, I still felt this urge like, ah, like i need to play catch up i need to go faster i need to try and accomplish more in a shorter amount of time and it, it, that isn't really necessarily how i usually like to operate you know i like things to happen very organically um, but yeah, the Austin thing that was pretty crazy because then I went to see a psychic mm. so as <laughs> well. I was just going through like a little bit of a crisis. I went to see a psychic and they were like, you know, you really kind of kind of follow your heart. Mm-hmm. Just to concisely sum that up, we could have a whole podcast just on the psychic consultation, but like you got to follow your heart. I was like, yeah, you know, I don't want to chase money. I don't want to chase. Submission grappling because it's more lucrative. My passion has always been in gi jiu-jitsu. As much as I will be investing more time into no gi, it has to come organically. I don't want to be pushed into something because maybe that's the better way to make a living. That's just never been me and probably never will be. So then I got a foot tattoo a week later. (laughs) (laughs) A series of debatable life decisions. And I signed up for Europeans with like two weeks notice. So... Car crash, barely train any gi. I got a foot tattoo in San Francisco, so I couldn't really train because I got the foot tattoo also. Then I flew to, I believe it was in Italy in 2022. I flew to Italy, had the match. And Mm -hmm. then again, I was continuing to be a little bit nomadic, but I was contemplating like, what is it that I'm really trying to achieve? If I keep, At, at this level, right? You don't see a lot of high level, athletes really bumping around. It's like- They all
0: stay in one place. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: With the exception of Joseph, Kento, myself a little, but I'm really trying to embrace the structure. I, um, I, I did nece- I did really see the need to settle down. Consistency being the key word here. I, I think in the past, I tried to look at being a nomad more as a survival instinct and what i mean by that is because i knew that i couldn't really stay in one place for more than x amount of time i tried to look for the silver lining in every situation so I was like oh i can only be three months in the u.s because this is the limitation of my Mm esther so i'll spend that time there but then when i go back to hong kong well, you know, I, I acknowledge that the level is slower, but what can I do at that time? And then I'll just try and go to Japan because I know, oh, I have this group of training partners that I can get up mm-hmm. to
0: training with. Because it seems like Joseph moves around Asia quite a lot. And then Kenta as well, which is kind of surprising because not a lot of Japanese people actually travel around for training. Um, for, I, it's usually mostly the language barrier more than anything else, it seems like. But Kenta's got really good English. I've done an, uh, an article with him before as well. But yeah, he seems pretty confident in moving around, which, which is good. I've always held this personal
1: belief that you can move around if you have at least one training partner that's Mm -hmm. competent. I think the duo, which is Joseph and Kenta is brilliant. If I had someone, Brianna would just follow me around. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I follow Brianna around. Uh, we kind of like we be kind of like going back and forth. with it. Like I went to see her in Montreal. She came to see me at AOJ when she was preparing for Who's Number One. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're trying to do this. She might. She might. I'm. I'm trying to manifest. So I'm going to say on this podcast. But she said she might come to Singapore <laughs> next month. So I'm pretty stoked about that. If she does make it out. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I, I really think you only needs one or two good training partners. Yeah. Because when you have the methodology. It's much more optimal to just have those two training partners and conduct your own training, your own format, rather than being in a class format. Well, we don't know if the curriculum is catered to us, right? Mm-hmm. Usually it's not, because it's, it, yeah. it's a format that's catered to at least like 20, 30 people for the most part, right? It's not intended for you or your progression. I think that speaks volumes on why, you know, Joseph has progressed so fast because he's able to really like control the environment. This is exactly what I want to work on right now. I think that is definitely a huge part of my success. Like, even though I have more of a stable structure now at AOJ, I, I still have room to use the open space to workshop with my partners, like outside of the formal class time. And when I do make trips like The one I'm on, I'm doing Mm -hmm. a teaching residency at Pineapple MMA in Singapore. So I'll be teaching them for all of November. Like I know that I'm gonna be using that time to think about everything that I need to work on. So I I think like, I actually really enjoy that I have this opportunity in Asia to actually do that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I like being spoon fed. Sometimes I like being independent.
0: (laughs) There's Asians going on at the end of that month as well, isn't there? Asian trials for ADCC. I'm contemplating. Yeah, I was that's, thinking that's like it. that seems pretty convenient.
1: I mean, yeah, it's like the final week. I I know that the registration deadline's on the 15th. And mm-hmm. nine out of ten, I'm gonna sign up for it. Yeah, because I'm actually, I don't know his last name. I should know his last name, but he goes by Dima Jazz mm-hmm. on Instagram, and Dima is currently helping. Facilitate the coaching of Jason Rao, Joseph Chan, uh, the multiple high level names. And I, I decided that I decided to reach out to him actually, like, um, maybe ju- just under a month ago. I, I was doing a seminars San Jose and I, I was decided to reach out to him. Was like, hey, like, if Joseph is talking to him, I'm pretty intrigued by this guy, what sort of mind does he have? Like I'm sure that, cause I know Joseph is someone with really, like a lot of intellect. I, I was really curious, like why choose him? Why specifically him? So we decided to have a conversation just a little bit back and forth. And I wanted to have someone on my side that would keep me accountable to mm-hmm. working on ADCC trials. And I, I have dual citizenship. So I have Hong Kong citizenship and also Italian citizenship. So that means I have two trials at the ADCC trials. I can do the European and I can also do the Asian. And this this set of trials doesn't, uh, the first set doesn't allow women to qualify, but the European ones will be the second set. So that's why I'm going to qualify for ADCC mm-hmm. with the assistance of DIMA as well. So I, I'm really looking forward to that actually. Yeah. Like um, this time in Singapore is actually pretty much focusing on the work that he's given to me it's like mm-hmm. you suck at this do this
0: <laughs> i mean um how does he assess that do you just like um do you record some roles and stuff and send it to him and then he analyzes it is that how it works or
1: honestly i don't want to overshare on like his format but i'll kind of sh- okay. like it's very similar to what i'm doing so mm-hmm. i'll share my process um like with my online coaching what i usually say i have a movement assessment week Mm -hmm. and with the movement assessment week i usually request two to three rolling videos of five to seven minutes in length and that gives me more than enough data that will allow me to assess any baseline movement patterns like little quirks that you might do where you might pause in certain sequences or certain movements and I usually request that someone you do this role with someone who's better than you, someone that's roughly the same level, and someone who's worse than you, however you want to coin it. And we did something similar, basically, except of course it was more geared towards submission grappling and certain positions that are more prevalent in the ADCC format. It's like I definitely acknowledge, you know, I'm very seasoned in IBJJF. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely more of a newcomer in the ADCC rule set. So yep. it's definitely interesting trying to adopt my game to become more ADCC compatible. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Pineapple SG um, residencies, are you going to be teaching gear or are you going to be teaching both?
1: Pretty sure I'll be doing both. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, I think uh,
1: They're predominantly, like, they have a predominant focus on Nogi. Mm-hmm. And I would say that it, it's, almost unheard of in Singapore to be a no-gi-only school. Yeah. And that was primarily how I saw the score at first. But knowing me, I want some gi in the academy for sure.
0: Of course, yeah. Because I think uh, Yuri was teaching there for a while, actually. Yuri was, yeah. yeah. Don't know what happened there, but... (laughs) November. And then what's the plan after November then?
1: so after november because i'm a psycho i sign up for a hundred kilometer ultra trail run (laughs) and that's going to be in hong kong so that's december 8th I, i think i just have a very interesting relationship with pain and trying to trying to understand where can i break my psyche will my psyche break if i can't do it will this course do it will this instructor break me I I'm really curious just to kind of push different limits like physically, mentally, and yeah, that's the main aim for the race. It's also for charity, but honestly, like that's that's more like a side fair. Yeah. It's obviously nice that I can fundraise for charity, but I'm also trying to stabilize at featherweight, you see. Mm-hmm. So my dumbass was like, if you run a hundred kilometers, don't you think you'll be featherweight by then? <laughs> <laughs> So it was a mixture of things. I've yeah. never done a trail run. I've, I actually got really into running over pandemic cause I didn't have as much, yeah. I didn't have as many opportunities to train jitsu. So I got really into road running, but the longest distance I've run so far is marathon distance. This is a completely different caliber of run through various different terrain through Hong Kong. After that, I will be promptly returning to AOJ to mm-hmm. get ready for the Europeans. Um, in and end of January.
0: Is that in Paris?
1: That will be in yeah. Paris, yeah. So I'm really, I'm honestly really looking forward to that because my 2024 goal is to Grand Slam in the Gi. So I'm setting the bar high, but I, I want to make sure that I go back with enough time to be consistent on the mats and like stay athletic, you know, because I, I don't feel my technical level... Goes down when I'm away. My Mm -hmm. technical level always stays at a relatively high level, but the only thing that always needs a little bit of a nudge when I get back to the States is the level of athleticism, just my cardio. Mm. Because it's different. Like, obviously, I have endurance based cardio that I can train through running, but the way that we train at AOJ is insane. I was so used to long rounds at Unity, where it's always eight to 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Then suddenly I'm exclusively nine out of 10 times only doing three minute rounds. Three minute rounds? Three minute rounds. Oh really? I I was like, listen, I, I don't know how to do jiu-jitsu in three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All of my jiu-jitsu is so elaborate. And I, I like to make this differentiation between short form and long form jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. I would consider my jiu-jitsu be, to be long-form jiu-jitsu. Short-form jiu-jitsu I would consider to be something that is very effective. And it's like when we say sentences out loud, we can say something very concisely and to the point, that's short-form, right? And long-form is someone who waffles a lot. There's like a lot of filler words that doesn't really add to what I'm trying to express. And what people do really well at AOJ is short-form jiu-jitsu. Understanding how to score in a really short, period of time. Mm-hmm. Whereas I know how to score really well in almost any different position. <clears throat> but I know that majority of my setups require required past times time. After being like in the process of like getting used to these three minute rounds, mm-hmm. like it's insane that I have a very strong Bias and preference to three-minute rounds. Now, mm. I couldn't have said that if you had spoken to me late last year, yes. for sure.
0: Is, is the three-minute specific rounds? Are they like um like like specific rounds? If you know what I mean, like like positional rounds, or is it three-minute just free um like free rolling rounds?
1: So it really depends on where we're at in the season. Mm. It's like right now, of course, a lot of people are going into the like no no worlds mode. But I would still say that Aoj is predominantly a gi school. You know, we yeah. do. Definitely have a lot more interest in Nogi, especially after Cole, like, made it to ADCC. I, um... I forgot the question, but jog my memory.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, just um the three-minute rounds, you say AOJ, because, like, um, it's, like, a short form of time. So you're trying to score in that short form yeah, of time, yeah. Specific.
1: So it, it does depend on where we are in the season. Mm-hmm. Like, at the moment, I would say we're mainly doing more freestyle rounds with the three minutes. And then we'll do things like, you have one minute left, you're down by advantage, the other person has two points, more like that. But hear hear me out on this. You've obviously seen Fight Club.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. We have like a super fight circle almost Mm -hmm. every competition class. And it mind fucked me so much at the beginning because you have one pair in the middle and everyone sits in a circle around yeah. you. I felt like I was just getting fed to the mm-hmm. wolves at first, <laughs> you know? And like, I, am definitely, I'm one of the senior female black belts though. You know, everyone else is pretty much a juvenile. I'm like, definitely on the older side, at, I actually call myself the cool aunt of AOJ. <laughs> um, that was really interesting because it definitely it puts you in a different state of mind. You feel like it, it very closely simulates competition where this matters, like this definitely matters. Everyone's watching. No matter, like I, I think of myself as someone who doesn't have ego, but you put me in the circle. I don't normally care if I win or lose, even in a competition class. Like you can pass my guard, I don't really care. But when you're in the super fight circle, it's mm-hmm. like, no man, this is real. Yeah. I don't I don't want I don't subscribe to that. We're not losing in this circle. So that that has definitely been interesting because you know what really is the intention of a competition class or even like let's say the three minute round, right? It's to build this urgency and internal desire to win. And I think the crazy thing about me as a competitor is that I'm not very competitive. It's very hard to make me competitive. It's not to say I don't like winning, but I want to win on my own terms. And that's always been like, I guess the more artistic side of me with the self-expression side that I want to articulate through the way that I train and my choices. But I I would say it definitely made me more competitive being at AOJ because I I feel like more of an athlete. Mm -hmm. Whereas at Unity, I definitely felt more of my artist side.
0: I mean, it's awesome that you actually recognized that you needed to change in order to get the, well, set the goals that you wanted to set.
1: I think like on that point, I definitely felt it for a while, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know if it was something that, is it purely an environmental thing or is it just me? If it's just me, can I change my actual thoughts Mm -hmm. and change the way that I train in class, right? But. Because of the format that we had at at Unity, I would say that it was the format that I was most comfortable in training in because Mm -hmm. I had been so used to it. I've been in New York for five years. I'm used to the longer rounds. I thrive in long rounds. That's why actually when I initially started competing in AJP, which is like five, six minutes, I struggled a little bit Mm -hmm. at the beginning because I don't have that intensity i didn't have that gas pedal at first and i've only really started developing more of that or more of a desire to build that since i moved to aoj because I, I realized like oh i can actually still focus on this self-expression that i keep searching for and that i keep wanting to present on the competition stage mm-hmm. but now actually like this is just a different type of expression that I wasn't allowing myself to explore because I thought it wasn't part of me. Rather, I, f- I find that everything, you know, it, it's just a process. Mm-hmm. It, it was a process of also getting to the point that I wanted to make this active change to move to California and to move to AOJ. Mm-hmm. You know, I think like mm-hmm. respectfully, I, I allowed it to all organically happen. I didn't. Prematurely move. I don't think the move was late. I think like the timing was perfect. I think the greatest change or realization, rather, between going to Aoj and also I started working with a sports psychologist. Mm. I didn't think I needed to work with a sports psychologist. I think I have a really good mindset. I have a good mentality. I don't deal, don't have problems dealing with loss Mm -hmm. and. Like, I I don't overreact to winning either. I'm very, like, stoic, very neutral. But this, this actually sparked a huge evolution, which on top of also training at AOJ, I felt like this actually was the reason that I changed so much. My sports psychologist asked me, like, what are, what are some of your greatest fears in competition? Like, what could be the worst possible thing that could happen to you? And I was like, you know, like, I guess if I, if I, the, the way that I express my jujitsu in the classroom, I think is very, it's very much a full expression of me. I, I. I go from the top, I go to the bottom. It's very complete. Like, I don't mind trading the positions. But most people know, if you've seen me in competition, I've been predominantly a guard player for almost a decade. There was like this... Slight fear of coming up to the top, not because I didn't know how to perform on the top, but it was more that I had this fear, like, oh, I'm going to gas when I go on top. I have to use more energy. I have to be more intense. This goes against my philosophy. So I rather create pathways that directly funnels me to my end game purely from the bottom position. And then he asked me, Margot, have you ever gassed, like, especially recently in competition? And then I just looked really fucking dumbfounded for a second, I was like, uh, no, I've not, not since like maybe like my first couple of competitions at Blue belt. but even so, I wouldn't have said that I gassed. I just think I lacked experience. Mm-hmm. I haven't gassed in competition. So why is there such a, intense fear of something that hasn't really happened before, you know? So it, it it made me realize, shit, I keep talking about my mentees and my students having self-limiting beliefs or narratives. Yet This was my own story that I was telling myself that I shouldn't go to that position because of this like strange fear that, has never really happened in competition. Seldom happens even in training, even when I'm like really, really pushing the pace. And that kind of flipped the switch for me. The the first time I saw him was two weeks before Pan Ams. And between the training, I already saw a lot of developments with the gas tank where I was making these different decisions to push the pace, but that completely unlocked something different for me. he also got me to do this exercise where I got free keywords to describe what would be the most ultimate version of myself versus like what are the keywords I'd use to describe my present self at the time. So I just kept telling myself those keywords before I went to pants. And you you should have seen how, how bad my weight cut was. It was, I barely made weight with like 10 minutes like to step onto the mat, you know, it's IBDJF, it's not the day before. Yeah. So I was like, oh, fuck. Like I I don't want to disappoint. Like I already had some teammates who like, they got ill and they couldn't They couldn't actually make it. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to let the team down. Like I am making weight no matter what. And this was my first time mm-hmm. competing at featherweight. I've been competing at Lightweight for majority of the, like, the good last decade, you know? I was like, I don't want to disappoint. Like myself, I don't want to disappoint the people who invested their time and energy into me. So I got to make weight. I made weight, but you know, usually you also think with that sort of weight cut, it's gonna tax you performance wise. But luckily I had a pretty good protocol between myself, my nutritionist, the sports psychologist. I I get onto the mat and suddenly I'm like, shit, my body is just going through the motions by itself. Like I'm so on autopilot. I I told myself it must be from the three minute rounds. Mm -hmm. It's like suddenly I was producing this pace that I never produced in competition before. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I would consider my battery level, my personal battery level, like 20%. Mm I had 20% energy. I went into my first fight, 20% energy. I was like, damn, I'm moving. And also I didn't realize I've never really considered myself to have the body type of someone who should be in the lightweight division. but. I've never been the type that believed, like if I'm good as a martial artist or a fighter, I don't believe that I should cut weight. Mm-hmm. That's my personal philosophy. Again, totally embracing being a student at AOJ. I don't want to come across as a diva. He was like, I think you should do feather. You do really well with feather. I was like, okay,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yes, yes. So Let, let's do it. Sensei, let's go. Let's go. Mm-hmm. So immediately I, I just took it, I was like. Fuck, I'm doing featherweight now, okay, let's do it. But I didn't have a lot of time to cut. Mm-hmm. But really everything fell into place. It was our first realization of like, okay, this this weight class makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I really, between the time of uh, Pan Americans finishing, going into Worlds, I just basically stayed consistent with all of those things, the training, seeing a sports psychologist, being consistent also in that Margot, you're an athlete. Yes, you're an artist, but shut the fuck up a second Mm. because you're so good at telling yourself to indulge that side. You have really neglected the athlete over many, many years. Most of my career, I would say, I am the most unathletic competitor (laughs) of my generation. There are people who really prioritize the S and C, but because I power lifted for most of my teenage years, I got really disinterested. And mm. as I got into jujitsu, I went into like a very Mikey misumichi approach, where like I just totally embrace full jujitsu, minimize the S and C, because I believe, well, you know, you're rolling with a variety of different training partners who will each ask you to produce different types of physicality, you know, different amounts of intensity, different amounts of pressure, different amounts of force to apply on each other. So I didn't feel like I needed it. But AOJ just made me think, I'm going to cover every single fucking base. Cover every single base this time. Really show the world what you have. Because I really, like my first two years at belt. I don't know, I had this like image of myself that i know that my technical level is so high but i'm always just slightly letting myself down because either my athleticism wasn't there or i didn't even have a full training camp i showed up like one year for nogi Worlds on two weeks of training and i i was mainly doing seminars i was teaching I was teaching these seminars, but I was training mainly with the people who were attending the seminars. They were not my regular training mm-hmm. partners, you know, and for someone who's competing at like the highest level, you know, that's unheard of. They're like, yeah. this is your career that you're talking about. So I, I think really the biggest change has also been like being less of an artist, but obviously that's still, it's still there, just lesser mm-hmm. amping up the athlete really looking at every single aspect of what makes up being a competitor like the snc the mobility the nutrition looking at recovery i covered every single base every single base with the entire six months and it was just six months six months difference you know that's really not it's an insignificant amount of time Mm -hmm. but very significant because that was really the biggest growth spot that i've had just like really Buckling down, and seeing how all of that could influence my game in such a short mm-hmm. span of time.
0: Yeah, so that's what I wanted to ask as well, because it seems like you've embraced that SNC side of things a lot more. You see doing um, like sumo deadlifts and stuff like that. Was that something that you started to do, do when you moved to um, AOJ?
1: Actually, every time I come back to Asia mm-hmm. and so Hong Kong specifically, like after Worlds, I did the Asian Open, then I went back to Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. When I'm in Hong Kong, I know that the level of jiu-jitsu is not going to be like AOJ. Mm-hmm. That's just something I acknowledge. So I kind of change up my training. So what do I do with that? Instead of making jujitsu the primary focus, I look at how else can I develop my athleticism? So I work with the guys at Strength Culture. And I love these guys to death. They're like a super cool community in Hong Kong. I wish every lifting gym was like them. I've been trying to find like... The equivalent in SoCal. I think I just about found my place. But yeah, I every summer I the main head coach at Strength Culture, his name is Ian Nam. He's very sports-specific. He's always he utilizes like a hybridized training format where we do some strongman movements and also incorporate a lot of powerlifting stuff. So my passion got rekindled through working with him. And because I was working with him so much over the summer, I was really like, man, like now as I moved to AOJ, cause I actually formally moved to AOJ in October of last year, but I accidentally got concussed in late September. Oh. So as I moved there, I was like adjusting, but because I also had just gotten the concussion, I didn't really want to rush adapting or like forcing myself to wake up early, under recover, I was taking my time. Mm-hmm. So that's why I usually tell people the main training block started from January. Um, I decided I wanted to be more consistent with that because I, I, I just enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it first and I, I don't take gear. I have, I'm have. i getting older. I'm technically <laughs> Masters 1 now. <laughs> well, I turn 30 next month, so technically Masters 1. I, I really think it's imperative for injury prevention. Mm-hmm. And if you ask me how many injuries I had over the years, as someone competing at the highest level, I think I've had very few injuries. I've had one major injury that was a Lisfranc fracture in 2015. Uh, it was in my right foot. I have a plate in my right foot. But that's it. Mm-hmm. Everything else has have been very, very minor, like maybe a pinky, a thumb, a toe, like very, very minor knee sprain, but that's kind of, uh, mm-hmm. like I'm on, honestly like really fond of trying to take care of my body in any any capacity. I, I've always said that. I think the the biggest message that I can put across from my personal brand is sustainability
0: and longevity in mm-hmm. the practice. So in terms of a strength block, um, what's your typical, um, is it like a couple of times a week, three times a week or?
1: Yeah, honestly, it really depends. Cause right now, whilst I'm at AOJ, I only train three times a week with the lifting. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge that the jujitsu is the focus. When mm-hmm. I'm more in Asia or again like kind of off season, I am prioritizing strength. Mm-hmm. So that's usually four to five times a week at least. But I balance it. Yeah. So if I'm like going out on seminars or I'm going out partying, then I like Yeah. Then I'll actually prioritize more strength. If I'm like going out and doing, that, start I prioritize mm-hmm. more strength because I identify, well, Jiu Jitsu is high risk. If I'm like doing all of that, finding more balance in my lifestyle, I don't really want to put myself too much in danger. Mm-hmm. I want to train with people who are like known training partners yeah. that I know I can trust. And then then I'm okay with that. But yeah, like in this block, it could be anything from actually four four to six times a week. It was like back in my very British days of like, Super super powerlifting. I was like into bodybuilding when I was like a teenager. I, I like trained seven times a week. Like, I, I, seven days a week mm-hmm. I was in the gym. I was also going to I was still doing Kung Fu. Still doing Kung Fu. I <laughs> <laughs> still I just started jujitsu at a mm-hmm. hodge Gracie affiliate. So yeah, that was a very, very different uh era of my life.
0: Mm-hmm. So the question I wanted to actually ask was, you said as long as you have a decent training partner, in your case is Brianna, like Joseph and Kenta, for example, mm. what's the, cause like, cause like, we've got Mikey right now and he's with them, um, Coco right now. They're so the as long as you zero. have, yeah. I know
1: them both so well, I'm like, when I saw them together, I'm like, they could go anywhere yeah. in the world and be fine. Yeah.
0: so. What's that methodology? That's my question. Okay.
1: You know, like I think you do have to have a certain level of experience in jujitsu. Like you have to have enough math time to understand how to Mm -hmm. lead your process. But once you get to a certain level, you have a certain amount of math time. Mm -hmm. I would say is about, it's mainly about self evaluation. What is your ability to evaluate your strengths and your weaknesses and goal set? Because if you understand how to goal set, then you understand what the destination is. I think a lot of people don't have clarity or a vision on what they're trying to achieve. If you don't have clarity on this vision, then it's problematic, right? Because you're trying to set up your own training. It's like, even let's say SSC program, if I don't have clarity on what the goal is, then it's kind of just like physical ma- like masturbation, you know, like I'm just doing Going things. Go through the motions, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it, it won't really lead you into the direction that you want to because it's lacking intention. So we need to set the intention. If I were to, for example, let's say, in theory, I was to jet set around the world with Brianna, we more or less will have a format where, OK, certain days, it can be just free sparring. We'll set the format. Maybe it's just three-minute rounds or five-minute rounds. Or if we have an event that we're training for, like, let's say, like for example, Brianna has the crown uh, in November. And that's the an IBGF rule set. So mm-hmm. it's gonna be 10 minutes, right? Yeah. So we will cater more to 10-minute rounds. We'll make shorter specific rounds based on the games of her opponents, right? So we know on the crown that there's she, she's probably gonna go through the like the same set of uh, I think it's four, four of them, mm-hmm. four or five of them. So we start to analyze the games and we create the specific scenarios or we create like specific games for each fighter and similar like for myself like, i'm not on the crown yet but i have europeans coming up i roughly know what the rust is i'll start evaluating what the games are of the people in my division and we start to create specifics geared towards those people and of course like i know like brianna's strengths lie mainly she's like really good at half guard half guard passing close guard, octopus guard like she's phenomenal at that so we also need to understand when choosing our training partner. Like I think Coco and Mikey are very, very compatible because they have very uh, wide vocabulary of their understanding of jiu-jitsu. So they can play multiple different games for each other. I think that would be a very critical piece to choosing mm-hmm. a training partner that yeah. you can remotely do that with. I think otherwise, other in regards to the overall methodology, it, it's pretty simple. Like it's mainly what I just said yeah. and reassessing that throughout the week, mm-hmm. depending on how far out you are from competition, well, maybe competition isn't even the focus, you know? Cause I, I think this methodology should apply to people who consider themselves to be hobbyists as well. You know, it's not just exclusively for people who compete. I, I think filming yourself would be the greatest tool that anyone should utilize. And I'm always so shocked when I hear people say that they've never seen themselves roll. Because
0: that's actually like Kogel had this little, like, little 3D thing that was like filming all his roles and stuff like that. And what, what I really found amazing, well, I guess it's quite surprising for me because I don't really know any kind of like a high level environment, but like they're like they're very specific about who they let into the rounds as well. So of course, Mikey and Mikey and Coke will be doing their rounds, but at the same time, there's like a small circle of people that they'll do specific roles with as well. Yeah. And if there's someone that they feel like they don't want to roll with, they'll just say no and not feel guilty about it. Oh, obviously, no, but that's
1: that's honestly the way. And I I have a yeah. really good piece on this. Don't be a fucking people pleaser. Yeah, I've been, I am a recovering people pleaser, <laughs> and let me hear you, it has fucked. My yeah. career in many ways. Yeah. And now every time I'm coaching any of my students or my mentees, I'm like, listen, yeah, you have an agenda. Yeah. I have an agenda. When we step on this mat, both of us want to assert our agenda. Yeah, But if we're like, oh, you know, and we're just kind of like, with yeah. people pleasing the whole time and being nice, playing mm-hmm. the nice guy, you're really taking away so much from your training. Yeah, I did this and I would also turn down my physicality in so many roles. Mm -hmm. I would pause because I'm not only in the fight with you, I'm assessing your facial expressions. I'm trying to read the energy. I always know when someone is starting to feel a little bit demoralized by me. And like this version of me that has gone to AOJ, I'm much more unapologetic Mm -hmm. about it because Nobody gives a fuck. Yeah. Major. From the age of like five to like fully grown adult, no one cares. They're programmed to be competitive, and I love it. Yeah. Because no one's gonna get upset at you for going really hard. Mm. Why we shouldn't get upset at each other? What I always say is like, poor communication leads to poor understanding or poor outcomes. Mm. Right. If I give you buy-in, I'm like, hey Mac, like I want to roll hard. Like, are you okay with that? Yeah. And you say yes. No matter what happens from that point onwards, if you're upset, that's your problem, Yeah. you know? But a lot of the time we go through jujitsu. Jitsu, we, we get upset at other people yeah. for going too hard. And it's like, it should only be that you get upset if we have not communicated yeah. something, right? I'm like, don't, let's not be people pleasers. This yeah. is really, I, I'm so passionate about telling people, it really fucked yeah. my career because I legitimately have gone to Worlds thinking, I don't want to use any strength with this person. Mm -hmm. I'm at fucking Worlds in the semifinals. Mm -hmm. Bitch, do what you have to do to win. You know what I mean? But like, I'm like, oh no, I'm an artist. (laughs) I want to do it my way. I'm going to express myself or lose. I'm like, this is legitimately how I would talk to myself for so many years. And then I got to AOJ, I'm like... (laughs) this 13-year-old wants to fuck me up, really? <laughs> right now, I'm like, I'm not letting a 13-year-old fuck me up, <laughs> like, that would be the point, that's the line, I draw. the line, that's why yeah. my ego is flared up right now, you're 13, <laughs> I'm 29 years old, I am more than WH, shit, that's like a realization yeah. on camera, holy shit, more than WH, <laughs> I don't know when to get fucked up, yeah. you know?
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I think it's important to be unapologetic because Your time is your time, Yeah. right? Like we only have so much time in a day. A lot of people have full-time jobs and they're going to the gym and they're also people-pleasing. Like, man, you have a full-time job and maybe you have a wife and kids or whatever and you're doing all this people-pleasing, but this is important to you. This is your practice. Why do you keep people-pleasing? Unless you enjoy rolling like that and you don't ask questions like, oh, how can I get better here? I'm like, man, you... It's not about getting better there. It's like really understanding you're just being too damn nice. Mm-hmm. If I can see that through the footage, then clearly there's something up that you're giving too much to the other person. But here's another layer that I'm going to try and fuck everybody. I like to look at jujitsu as a parallel of our personality, right? Like, mm-hmm. so how we fight is the way we argue. It's kind of how I psychoanalyze myself. I'm very conflict avoidant. That's why I've been a counter player for so many years. I'm very reactive. I love it when people interact with me first, they engage me and then I'll funnel them from a defensive cycle into offensive cycle. That has been my jam for many, many years, right? But it's also because I don't really want to argue with you. If you start yelling at me, I'm not gonna be like, Mac, you're a fucking idiot. I'm, like, hmm. I'm not gonna argue I'm Like, Oh yeah. no, like, listen, let's talk about it. And then I do all this fancy jujitsu jitsu shit that's long-winded, and then you're like, oh, what the fuck is she doing? Mm-hmm. I just start confusing you, and then I slowly get my way, but mm-hmm. I'm kind of like going around in a circle, you know? You get what you want when you stop people-pleasing when you start saying no. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because I don't like saying no. I cringe every time I reject yeah. someone, you know? It is really hard is because hard. socially... Socially, we love the community. Mm-hmm. We love the community. Like when we go to the Jiu Jitsu gym, we don't want to turn people down. No. We don't want people to think that we're an asshole. But it's like, yeah, Mikey and Coco, like just because yeah. they are the example, yeah. right? If they're competing, that's their priority they're and yeah. in that, right? Mm-hmm. Even though <laughs> when I talk to Mikey also, a couple, they're like, we're professional hobbyists. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yes, me too. I'm a no. professional hobbyist as well. Cause like, no. we just love the art so much still. Mm-hmm. We still do it really for enjoyment, but professional hobbyists. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important not to get butt hurt at people going too hard. If you get upset at someone, I would always say like, really talk to yourself and reevaluate mm-hmm. that with yourself. Because if you're getting upset, it, it's just the, fl- the flaring up of the ego. You're more like, I I just would like to have buy-in. Mm-hmm. If I have buy-in, you can go as hard as you want, or I can say no and we don't roll, right? Because maybe it's like, I think Mikey's, Mikey and Coco are doing good by saying like, oh, I don't want this person in my group because yeah. maybe they don't have the style that they're trying to match up against, you know. Um,
0: there's a there's a situation where um, a couple of the national team, the Thai national team kids came in, and uh, mm-hmm. they kind of went po on them. But then it's two days before Mikey's like one FC match, right? So it's, and it's inappropriate. It, it was inappropriate, but at the same time, it was poor communication. Obviously, they don't speak English, and like I did say, I did say to the coach look, maybe he didn't understand me clearly. But it's just like the Thai kids are poor; they they make money by winning medals at like I- events. So it was like, I don't think they understood like, like, like it was two days before his like, you know, it's, it's yeah,
1: yeah, yeah yeah I think they
0: didn't understand that. But yeah, like afterwards I did try and explain it so they understand a little bit more. But like, yeah, he's like, no, I'm not doing it. So, so then after that, I was like, yep, I've had enough. I'm not rolling with you guys. But he didn't say it in a mean way or anything no, like that, of obviously. I mean, yeah. he's, a lovely, yeah, yeah. he's a lovely person. But yeah, but just, I just thought, yeah, um, the onus is up to you to say no if you have to. So yeah. 100%. Like
1: never, I used to feel very inclined. Mm-hmm. Like even, I caught myself in the summertime when I went to China. I did a seminar in Guangzhou. And everyone wanted to roll at me after the seminar. And I'm not, I don't like rolling after the seminar. I like rolling before the seminar mm-hmm. because I give all my energy and all my heart to the seminar. Mm-hmm. After the seminar, if I have energy, that's conditional. Yeah, I would like to have my personal buy-in. If I want to roll, I'll roll. I don't want to feel obligated. Yeah. But because of the expectations, and this changes from country to country. It's yeah. like in Asia, like I feel like a lot of people, like they feel like, oh, you must. Like we're paying you for this service, you must roll. Mm-hmm. I, it's like a little way, or most so in China at least. I have like, 80 kilo plus dudes trying to fuck me up after I had taught like four hours, nonstop. And you know, I still had good energy. So I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'll do it. But I definitely caught myself. That was me people-pleasing. After that, I was like, I'm not doing this shit 80 plus
0: kilos as well, that's-
1: Yeah, you know, I'm like, bro, like if I put myself in the other person's shoes, this person had just been teaching four hours. I would try to have an educated role, you know? I wouldn't try to, like, use all my man strength. Yeah.
0: I do find that kind of weird when I see bigger guys rolling with smaller people, whether it's male or female, and then, like, they just roll, like, crazy. And it's just like, well, like, you can see there's, like, a clear difference in, like... You know what I mean? And then they just, they still roll, like... I
1: like to trigger people and say it's, like, uh, it shows, the mm-hmm. IQ shows. Oh.
0: <laughs> That's a good expression, actually, no, yeah. No, the yeah. IQ shows, because, yeah.
1: like, I always say, like, your jujitsu and your ability to learn, your ability to problem solve mm-hmm. is related to your IQ, yeah. right? Or like, at least like, <laughs> when you put that out there, it triggers most people. Yeah. I had a good friend of mine in Hawaii, he mm-hmm. told me this when I was a white belt. Yeah. It's like, how good you are at jujitsu is directly related to your IQ, yeah. or how smart you are. My jujitsu was really fucking bad at the time, so I was like, no, I'm so fucking <laughs> dumb! I- we got to train more, we got to train more. And that quickly yeah. made me elevate my jujitsu. <laughs> <laughs> it quickly made me elevate my Jiu Jitsu. And now like when I see stuff like that, I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. it because jujitsu teaches you a lot about social dynamics. Mm. It teaches you about empathy. It yeah. teaches you so many different qualities. And when I see that, I try not to judge the person, but I am seriously thinking, Are you actually present here with me? Were you here in this seminar? Do Mm -hmm. you understand the events that just took place? And you don't have an inkling of a fault that maybe that isn't, appropriate because I wouldn't do that to anyone, regardless of what size or what they have accomplished mm-hmm. in their lifetime, right? I, I wouldn't try and go ape shit on them. Yeah. I would be matching the intensity. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's what I thought as well. Like the last thing, like, what like Mikey's like allowed me to roll with him. And I was just like, the last thing I want to do is like, like injure anybody, you know what I mean? So it's like match that energy, right? Yeah. 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 It's really important to do that. Cause like, <laughs> yeah. Cause like this guy, um, I'm not going to say his name. But <laughs> He he came he came to RITA a few times and he's coming up and down because he he coaches somewhere else. I'll just say it that way. And um, there's been a couple of situations where he split lips, black eye, injured someone's ribs so they can't compete and stuff like that. And then the last time he came, everyone's just like, "No, we're not doing it." Because because he because he was like a repeat. Yeah, offender. where's the buyer Yeah, where's yeah. the
1: buy We don't. <laughs> So to be fair though, there are a lot of black guys yeah. at AOJ, yeah. <laughs> but we all bought into that. Yeah. You know, we subscribe to we go to that mm-hmm. 7 a.m. class. Yeah, anything's gonna happen. Yeah. Like we we bought into mm-hmm. that. Like, not to be funny, like at, at Unity, there was a period of time when at the very original gym, not the new gym, mm-hmm. new gym is great. But the old gym was above a Chinese restaurant.
0: Yeah, it's that little that little long corridor space that you guys have, right? That's yeah.
1: also the floor was slightly slanted to one side. So <laughs> when there was like water, <laughs> like yeah. when the guys were going, mm. the the infamous video of Flo Grappling that everyone has to bring this video up to me at least yeah.
0: every time yeah, they're that having they meet the me. showers in between the rounds. But
1: I didn't realize until I watched that video yeah. though, because I thought these guys like, what hormones are they taking? Mm-hmm. Like, why are these sweating so profusely? And none of the women are sweating like this. Yeah. I'm like, there's something wrong with them. Like, are they taking too much pre-workout? I don't know what the fuck's going on, but they're sweating so much, it's disgusting. It's like a swimming pool. And where the floor was slanted, there's like a pool of fucking water, like
0: mm-hmm.
1: just building up. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want my face to splash over there because <laughs> that is so damn ratchet. So yeah, I didn't subscribe mm-hmm. to that, but in a way when you choose to go to Unity, you make that conscious decision. At in that generation, mm-hmm. that's what we subscribe to, yeah. you know? In the same way at ARJ, we all have subconsciously subscribed to mm-hmm. Dorothy. Mm-hmm. Dorothy has a black eye once a week, I swear.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She rolls really hard. She does. Yeah. She does. Yeah. You roll too hard. Yeah. <laughs> Dorothy <laughs> Rotze. Shout out to Dorothy, I suppose. Yeah. I get harassed by her. Anyway. Um so a couple more questions. Um how would you evaluate the current trends of jiu-jitsu? I mean, like you went back to Japan for Asians and then you taught mm-hmm. like a seminar at uh, was it Aoyama?
1: I did a class at Aoyama. Okay. I just did it like out of the blue. I, yeah. I really love Kapedyam. Yeah. I have visited Club headquarters like almost every single year outside of pandemic.
0: Is it that particular school that you go to always or do you ever go to visit the other branches like Mita or Hero? I've been to Mita
1: before, but I usually go to Hero and I have been to Aoyama just a handful of times. I would say Hero is where I mainly go to. Um, But I taught a seminar Pato Studio. When I was there,
0: oh, Dais- Nakamura Daisuke's place, yes, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I
1: love great, great sense of community mm-hmm. over there. I really love it. I highly recommend anyone who's ever going to Tokyo that yeah. they do stop by and pay them a visit. Also, mm-hmm. so you're saying current trends. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I mean, like I, I'll speak about submission grappling first because I feel like that that's a little bit easier to talk about. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's already talking about it. Like with the instructional boom recently, I, I do feel like everything has become systematic approach (laughs) and it's not bad, you Mm -hmm. know, it's not bad Mm -hmm. at all, but the trend is really in like, we're evaluating all of these systems, but it's kind of like funneling us into the domain of DDS. Mm -hmm. You know, like it takes, again, I I keep repeating his name because I I have always thought he was going to be a star before like this recent ADCC trials. Mm -hmm. But so, Joseph studies a lot of the DDS mm-hmm. content, like a lot of the instruction, like Gordon stuff, Dan and stuff, da 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 da. Once you have the systems in mind, then you have the ability to kind of free flow and play around with it, right? It gives you like uh, a different framework to start to add to the system and add some personal flair. And I think that's where we see the most development, right? Because I definitely see, look at the way Joseph moves. Look at the way he moved at the European trials. He has. Definitely got his own style to how he executes the moves. Mm -hmm. I think most of what I see in in submission and grappling trends is based off of down stuff. I think Jason Rao is onto some interesting stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, I recommend any of his latest instructionals. Mm -hmm. Like I I was, you was just see the trends kind of unveil itself though. Mm -hmm. Going back to the gi. I'm interested to see if AOJ passing will be a trend. I think there's components of it that... I would say, what really is AOJ passing? Because it's Mm -hmm. not... You can't just label something, you know what I mean? It's just Mm jiu-jitsu at the end of the day. But there are components of it that were combined together that were clearly identified as very effective passes in the highest levels of competition. Let's look at the duck on the pass as just one example, right? I think the duck on the pass is utilized by multiple high level, uh, podium places across the black belt division, especially the men's division. It's very difficult to analyze the female meta and the male meta at the same time because they're very, very different. Mm -hmm. Very, very different. I tend to analyze the male meta because There's just a lot of data though, but it's just very interesting to see if we look at male competition and female competition, it's still very different in terms of movement. You Mm -hmm. don't see that many women who are following the same trends. So yeah, just on the topic of trends, it's like interesting like, well, what are the female trends? What are the male trends? Can we identify what the female trends are? Is it like pretty consistent in that? And I would say like throughout the years, the trends in the female division have been predominantly like Spider Lasso. Mm. It's Predominantly Spider Lasso, and there's not really a lot of fancy gods. I, I think I have one of like the craziest like hybridized gods like in the women's division. Most people are either like really strong passes, Delahiva Spider Lasso, predominantly mm-hmm. speaking. Uh, so outside of the Dakando, I, I think like I am seeing a lot more leg trap like in, in a recent competition. I think, you know, it. it, it's hard to not say that it's because we're seeing Tainan Delpera become so successful and he just looks so calm and collected when he's also executing these moves. I think a lot of people are trying to study the matter, study the combination, see how the different pieces connect together. but yeah that's that's mainly what i see at least from the top position like really trying to build the leg trap the duck on the pass outside of that on the guard game i can't identify any big trends personally speaking but i am seeing a lot more a lot more people trying to do what isaac does yeah isaac lion i um, am very intrigued to see if that will become more commonplace Mm -hmm. in the coming years i would like to influence the female matter if i can but (laughs) we'll see about that
0: yeah all right next question is going to be uh what's your future plans or goals grand i suppose you said uh i suppose you said grand slam 2024 but
1: i I wanted grand slam 2024 but you know again i'm never really attached the outcome. That will always be like the artistic side of me, but I want to try pretty fucking hard to accomplish Mm -hmm. that. I want to qualify to ADCC. So between the European trials and the Asian trials, like I definitely want to work on that, work on my Mm -hmm. weaknesses there to become a little bit more well-rounded for the ADCC rule set. Mm -hmm. I really just want to win Worlds twice at blackball. That would be my ultimate aim. Mm-hmm. I want to fuck off after that and go into acting and entertainment. That's like actually my ultimate Oh, goal. really? I want to fuck off, go into acting. <laughs> I want to be a DJ. I want to be the next Peggy Goo, but like with my own flower. I feel like everyone feels it, you know? Yeah. Everyone knows that I'm like born to be more of an entertainer yeah. and I don't get the creative outlet to do that mm-hmm. in Jiu Jitsu. You know, cause like, It's competitive, you know? It's competitive and it's athletic. It's Mm an athletic expression. It's not, I'm trying to do artistic expression in, like, I'm the gardener (laughs) in a field of warriors. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm here just trying to to water these flowers. Everyone's just trying to fuck me up all the time. Like, I don't know how I'm gonna feel about doing that into my Mm mid-30s. And it's not to take away from, I am always, going to be training a lot. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. It's just that is is a part of my lifestyle. It's not because I'm a competitor that, oh, I train like this because I'm a competitor. I, I enjoy the training. I enjoy the grind. I enjoy uh, psychoanalyzing myself, looking at what I can do better, you know, like, is it a mental constraint? Is it a physical constraint? Like, I'm always looking for like, how can I reach that better version of myself? A lot of people ask me if I want to open a space. I'm like, yes and no, because you know, the nomadic part of me and yeah. you know, I say things like DJ acting, which requires you to be flexible, move around. I don't know if I want to have a space where I'm predominantly the instructor. However, I would be open to a concept of mm-hmm. a space. Like if it was a more open concept. So I have like this vision of the nomadic atelier. Mm where this In this space, it's very open. It's more of this philosophy of like having a reverse classroom model where you already know what you want to work on. If I'm coming in or I have a guest instructor or someone else is there, that's like an added bonus. But this place is really a creative haven for people to create. It's like a space for creatives. I would consider it to be more like, think of a co-working space meets jujitsu, you know, but also not just jujitsu, it's for any type of movement artist. So I'm a really big uh, fan of this type of concept because I, I think, well, you know, there's already so many jujitsu gyms. It's such a saturated market. I don't even know what city I'd want to be in. You know, I don't, I don't think I want to be in California forever. That's for sure. Yeah. But I don't know if I would want to open up in New York, for example, you know, I don't think that's a city for this concept. I have considered, for example, Berlin, but that requires me to be in like a very specific state of mind, I would mm. say, because again, <clears throat> as much as I tell you about, okay, there's a nomadic methodology of how I can have this training partner and be mm. anywhere. It's like, well, unless you actually have that, then the methodology does fall apart to a certain extent. I, I want to make sure before I make any permanent move, like that, or semi permanent move, like that, that I've really given my best energy to the goals that I have in front of me. So, okay. Black Belt GI Worlds twice. I want to go to ADCC, like be an artist at ADCC. Mm-hmm. So, we'll make that A into artistry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Putting the artistry into ADCC. Yeah. That, that, that I want to I wanna express myself on every world stage. I think yeah. that would be really special. Cause I, I know my levels though, it's just like really, like even the last Asian trials, bam, you know, I had like 10 days of notice. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to do it. Yeah. I wasn't going to do it because I had prepared for it when I moved to Austin originally. Asian trials was supposed to be in February. It got postponed because still there was some like lingering COVID regulations, etc. So it got postponed. Then I just finished World's ADCC trials is a couple of weeks after. Not even a couple of weeks, like I think like a week and a half. I, as you do after Worlds, I started eating a mm. lot. <laughs> yeah. But, but my partner and Marilla, they were like Margo. <laughs> Margot, you could like beat this division with mm-hmm. your eyes fucking closed. I'm like, oh my god, you're so cocky, but I like it. I like that you're really cocky and you have a lot of belief in me. I have a lot of belief in me. I'm gonna be a fucking idiot and do this. I had the capability, but I really messed up the wake up. Yeah. So I think it was very unprofessional for me to do that. But I'm an artist. Mm-hmm. You call it uh, when you call it autistic every time you do something unprofessional. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I um I know my technical skill set was there. I think I was still a little bit green with the ADCC rule set. Like I kind of overlooked some things that went out of regulation time. Mm-hmm. I, I I vividly remember that I thought I was going to lose, uh, I think it was my semifinals, thought mm-hmm. I was going to lose out of regulation time, but a, a lot of my peers thought that, oh, you had done enough to win the, like, the initial regulation time, even if it went to like a rough decision. I didn't have that thought in hindsight. Mm-hmm. I only thought, ah, I really need to like make something happen. So I, I think given that my mindset since January has been, let's cover every base, that I just don't see myself being in that position mm. again, I think it's inevitable that I'm going to qualify. But I don't see it not happening. Mm. So you see me at ADCC being autistic. Right, <laughs> nice.
0: Okay. And uh, lastly, who would you like to thank?
1: It's hard to name everyone, mm-hmm. but I definitely want to thank all of my teammates at AROJ. like, without them, it would be impossible to do the work that I do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, specific shout out to gear of course, it's like, I think... It's incredible what he identified in my game very early on. And, you know, he first told me to be featherweight in 2014.
0: Oh, really? Yeah, he told me
1: that. I was like, I'm a martial artist. I want to (laughs) be the best fighter. I don't think being lighter means that I'm the best fighter. That means I'm too fat. (laughs) Like, you know, I just did not think... It didn't align with me at mm-hmm. the time, yeah. you know, and I was still like bouncing back and forth. So I, I, I'm i really grateful to Gi for really pushing me outside of my comfort zone every damn day. Mm. Like it's like a kind of type two sort of fun, you know, you don't like it in the moment, but afterwards you're like, damn, I can, I can feel the evolution, mm. which is really, really cool. Uh, my partner, Meg, she has been like really super important throughout all of this because I wouldn't have actually moved to AOJ if it wasn't for her. Mm. Um, she kind of pushed a gas pedal on the move because I was like, no, we need, to, we need to do this more slowly. Like, we need to move <laughs> slow. Let's think about this in terms of like, oh, let's have like six months and slowly... Figure out all the legit, we didn't even have an apartment when we first moved, you know, oh. we just like jump ship. I am like, this is the most stressful thing. I don't like operating like this. Again, conflict avoidant. I want to minimize the stress in my life. That's how I maintain my Zen for mm-hmm. the most part. You know, the most chaotic thing in my life is like, I don't know, I'm trying to roll with my iso. It's like, iso is like, she's... <laughs> this is a very funny description. I don't know if she'll like this if she hears it, but I hope that she we'll sees it. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> She's like a termite on LSD. <laughs> it's like, wow, how can someone move clip that one. at that velocity? Oh. Mm-hmm. But also, it's just so incredible. She moves at the velocity, but also because her limbs are so much shorter than mine. She's able to get into spaces that I'm just simply not able to. I've had to really redesign my entire game just around shit. I need to be uber precise in order to roll off mm-hmm. And so far, especially since I came back from Asia, she's been my primary training partner. Every day at 7am, it looks like we're going to war. Like it, yeah. It's pretty crazy. Other than that, I also like definitely want to give thanks to Murillo. He's been such a big part of this jiu-jitsu journey. And I think like, like in certain ways he has been kind of like a father figure. And mm-hmm. in, in certain ways he really made me feel seen for this artistic side of jujitsu. jitsu which, you know, when I came up through the ranks, even like when you did the interview with me last in 2019, when I was doing like jits jamming and stuff, man, like, I remember like people like giving me shit on Reddit, like, mm-hmm why are you doing all this weird, uh, ecstatic dance shit? You know, and then it's it's crazy. The mm. same people who were talking shit back then when I started doing Wild Black Belt, like congratulating me. I'm like, this is a typical cliche thing about what, yeah. what we say about the haters. I'm like, well, that wasn't very smart, was it? <laughs> but I really, I, I did appreciate a lot how he saw me and he never tried to change me. That was really beautiful. Yeah. I, I think, I've had a lot of instructors in the past that tried to change who I was. And it's like, you know, you are only gonna change at the pace that you feel ready for, you know what I mean? Like I felt ready to change and that's why I went to AOJ. That's why I'm so open to all of this feedback that I'm receiving. I wasn't ready in 2014. Mm. I wasn't at that stage where I didn't want that at all. I want to to explore the artistic sides. Of um, my game until like I feel like my cup is full with the creative expression.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now I'm an athlete.
0: Yeah, all right, thank you. And That's of awesome. course,
1: Browse, <laughs> and Athletics, because they're keeping me fresh. I just launched my the Nomads Gear. Mm-hmm. I wanted to give it some fancy ass awesome name, but they're like, we have a text constraint. I'm like, shit, okay, okay. the Nomads Gear. <laughs> Everyone keeps asking me, what's that Chinese on your back? I'm like, it's my last name. Why we want your last name on your back? I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> but it looks pretty damn cool, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. But thank you again for also having me. It's been a pleasure like, to finally be here yeah. like in Bangkok as well. So yeah. First time.
0: Yeah. We'll, we'll to have to have you back also. again. We'll no, it will be the last time. Definitely not. We have much to yeah. talk about. <laughs> All right. Let's... Thank you